All right, let's talk about three resurrections this morning. Resurrection as a concept, right? I'm not talking about any specific resurrection, but the concept of resurrection, that somebody can die and then live again, it is probably, I don't know, it's hard to say most important. It's one of the most important concepts in Christianity. It might be the most important, but it is a central concept to Christianity, isn't it? Christianity as a religion, a lot of religions are, but Christianity specifically is based around the idea of resurrection. Without the idea of resurrection, Christianity would not be anything. It would be, and Paul says it is right, right? If the dead are not raised, then you are still in your sins. It's futile. What are we doing? We are all of, of most men most to be pitied if the dead are not raised. The idea of resurrection is the one idea that the whole faith hinges on. Now, of course, one particular resurrection, right? We're thinking first, the first resurrection we're going to talk about is the most important resurrection, and that is the resurrection of Jesus, right? Uh, let's read Romans 1, 1 through 4. Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And, and the rest of this is describing the gospel of God, right? Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, right? So he promised the gospel before. The gospel concerns his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. All of that leads up to what? The gospel promised beforehand concerning the Son of God. He was declared to be the Son of God. How? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection is the thing that declares the gospel to be true, right? Everything hinges on the resurrection. Without the resurrection of the dead, there's no, there's no good news. There's no gospel. The gospel itself is... The promised thing, the thing that we were looking forward to in the Old Testament this whole time, the thing that we depend on now, the, the best of news, I almost said goodest of news, the best of news is nothing without the resurrection. It is the resurrection that declares the Son of God, that it confirms all of the Old Testament prophecies, confirms all of the things that they were looking to through the prophets, confirms all the importance of why was Paul an apostle? Why was it important that he was descended from David? Why is the, the spirit of holiness, what does that have to do with anything? All of that hinges on the resurrection. It does. It is the central idea. And, and the question that we have is, is, can reasonable people accept such an event? Because it is, it's fantastical. It's supernatural. Can we accept that such a thing happened? I want to briefly uh, talk about why it is a reasonable thing to accept. Uh, note, first of all, that people were not just blindly accepting. People did not just blindly accept the resurrection. As, as people today, we understand a healthy amount of skepticism right? We understand that perhaps it's a, it's a hard thing to ask people to believe in, but that's how people felt originally. Luke 24, 10 through 11, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things, the things that the, the Jesus is arose, right? To the apostles, but those words seemed to be to them an idle tale and they did not believe them, right? It's, I under, it's understandable, that people think it's just an idle tale. It's unreasonable. How could? They, what are you guys even talking about? That of course he didn't raise from the dead. Even his apostles didn't understand at the beginning, right? So we understand that this is a difficult thing to accept. We read another one, Luke 24, 40 through 41. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, 
For joy they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? It took a long time for them to figure it out, for them to get what was going on. It's a difficult thing to accept. Now, the point about that is, for our purposes, these skeptics, these people who were so skeptical at the beginning, they heard the news about the resurrection of the dead. Oh, that can't possibly be true. You guys are crazy. That's just idle talk. You guys are just daydreaming, maybe is what they thought they were doing. For those people then to have such a dramatic turnaround, to go from the people they were to the people we see in Acts, people that, and, and not just that they had this radical change, but even the, the rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were astonished at this dramatic turnaround in their character. They started off such disbelievers, and yet they still believed eventually in the end, right? They believed because enough evidence was shown to them that they would believe and thus have this dramatic turnaround, this dramatic change in their life. We can read another uh, important reason why this is not an unreasonable thing to believe in. And that, of course, is that there's many witnesses. If they were so skeptical to begin with, what is the thing that eventually turned them around? Well, we saw part of it. Jesus appeared to them. He appeared to a lot of people. It wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just these women, right? Jesus appeared to a lot of people. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, this is the first important thing, the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We looked at that for the communion. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What's Paul's point here? And, and note a particular phrase in that, most of whom are still alive, as he's writing that. Of course, that's not true anymore. But mo when he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, Jesus appeared to a lot of people. Go ask them. They're all still, most of them are still alive. You can go check and see. And for the whole period of, of the, the Acts account, right, we have so many people who witnessed the, the resurrection of Jesus. So many people who were witnesses to it. And, and of course, the natural thing is, well, what about the skeptics? What were they doing? And ultimately, right, not everybody saw Jesus. We know that to be true. And Jesus even says to Thomas, I love this phrase, when he's talking to Thomas after, and he shows him the hands and the feet, or he shows him the hands and the side, right? And he, he's talking to him about his doubt and his disbelief. And he says, you see and you believe, but blessed are those who don't see and still believe. Now, when we talk about belief, we talk about faith. We're not talking about things that are have no evidence. We're not talking about things that are completely irrational or unreasonable. But at the end of the day, we still have faith, don't we? We still do have faith. But there is a lot of reasonable evidence for the resurrection. Uh, final point in Acts 2, 29 through 32 is, of course, the empty tomb, right? Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him, with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Again, focusing on the idea of witnesses, to be sure, but the contrast between the tombs. David died, he's buried, you can go visit him. He's right there. Now, that's what Peter's saying, right? You can go see his tomb. He's still in there. Contrasted with Jesus' tomb, 
which was empty. And if the rulers of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, if they could have produced a body, they would have. And in fact, they know they they knew they couldn't, right? They went to the tomb, it was empty. So what did they do? They made up the lie, right? They stole the body. The disciples stole the body. If they could have produced a body, that would have been the end of it. That would have been the, the final nail in the coffin. They're just like, oh, Jesus raised from the dead. And the Pharisees are, uh, actually, we have his body right here. He's, he's right here. He's dead still. That would have been the end. But they couldn't do that. And so their accusation, of course, what? Well, they must have stolen the body. Did that seem like the kind of thing that these apostles would do? As the rest of their life plays out, we know what kind of people they were. We know what kind of things they did. We know what kind of character they possessed. It's not the sort of thing that they would have done, and, and it's not borne out by the rest of the things that they lived. So when we think about the resurrection of the dead, the first one, the most important one, obviously, is the resurrection of Jesus. It is a thing that is, yes, takes faith because it is fundamentally based in supernatural power. But it is not an unreasonable conclusion. It is not irrational. It is not something that we just blindly have to accept. There are good reasons, and these are just three that I've, I've brought on briefly, good reasons to accept that such an event happened. Yet we know, of course, that this is not just an academic exercise, right? This is not just trying to discover history. This is not just something we, we know that's interesting, an interesting fact about the world. This event has real implications, real serious consequences for it happening, right? These these are important matters. So we see the second resurrection, right? It's not just that Jesus raised and that's the end of it and we don't need to worry about it anymore. He died and was raised. Again, we looked at these texts in our study of the communion so that others would follow suit, right? There's an important application to this event. And that, of course, is the second resurrection. The second resurrection would be our resurrection from the dead, right? Or, or not, rather, no, sorry, got that confused. The second resurrection is our resurrection from sin, uh, our resurrection from the old life. Let's read 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3, 21 through 22. Baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Two things out of this text. One, the resurrection put Jesus in charge, right? He is, everything has been subjected to him because of his submission and his obedience and his ultimate death and then his resurrection. But what for us? What's the point for us? We think about this uh, this text, the power of our change, the appeal of God to a good for a good conscience. That only comes through the resurrection. Without the resurrection of the dead, if you get baptized, you're just getting wet. It didn't do anything. It's not accomplishing anything at all. Only accomplishes things through the power of the resurrection, right? Our cleansing, our forgiveness, our purity. And when he says an appeal of a good conscience, isn't that what he's talking about? We want to be forgiven. We want to be purified. We want to be cleansed. We want to be holy. All of those things only happen through the resurrection. And his resurrection then, we were dead in our sins. We were dead and separated from God. We were we were lost. His, his resurrection leads to our resurrection here on earth. We're not even talking about the resurrection, the third one we'll talk about in a minute, but here on earth that we were dead to sin. Now we are alive. Let's read another text in Romans 6. Another text in, uh, oops, went one too far. Romans 6, 3 through 4. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That newness of life, there is something, should be something different about us. The resurrection is such a powerful event that those who come into contact with it, those who believe in it, those who are united in it, cannot help but be dramatically different people after that encounter. After they have been united in that death and resurrection, your life through the power of his resurrection should be different, right? You have a new life now. You're not stuck to the old dead things that you were before. You're not trapped in the same deadly way of thinking, the same deadly way of, of, of living. You have been freed from that to live a new life. And it is only because of Jesus' resurrection that you can have that same resurrection. You, your, your old self is, is buried, put in the ground with Jesus. You rise to walk in newness of life. Through the power of Jesus, you can be better. You can be different. You're, you don't just have to be stuck in the same old horrible habits and the same old uh, way of thinking. You can be a better person because if God could raise Jesus from the dead, he can work in your life. He can change you, right? Isn't that what we're submitting as the central tenet of Christianity, the, the good news of the gospel? Jesus died and was buried and was raised, and now he offers something to you? to be a better person, to be more like the God that we claim to serve. So uh, we see the first two resurrections then. First, the resurrection of Jesus. Second, our resurrection from sin. And again, the resurrection of Jesus empowers every believer to live a, a new, better, holy life. This, of course, this new life, this newness of life, this, this new way of being, leads to the third resurrection, the final resurrection, right? And this, of course, would be the general resurrection from the dead. Now, to be clear, the third resurrection, the resurrection from the dead, is something that everybody's going to experience. Everybody who's ever lived, except for, I guess, maybe those who are alive when he comes back. Everybody who's ever died, let's say it that way. Everybody who's ever died is going to experience this third resurrection. It's not just those who believe. It's not just those who participated in the second one. But everybody who has ever died will participate in the general resurrection of the dead to be to go and face judgment. But we know for those who have experienced the first two resurrections, for those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus and those who have participated in his resurrection through the resurrection from sin, the third resurrection has a, a special better significance, a better meaning. It means something different to those of us who have experienced the first two than the rest of the world, right? Let's read 1 Thessalonians First uh, Thessalonians 4.14. First, we, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And, and here's the question, right? When you think about the third resurrection, the general resurrection of the dead, who are you going to be with? after that happens. Those who believe in Jesus, who believe that Jesus died and rose again, they get to go be with Jesus in the third resurrection, right? He's going to bring them with him. 
as opposed to the rest of the world, those who have not participated in the first and second resurrection, they will not be brought with Jesus. They'll be brought to Jesus, I guess, if we think about the book of life and its opening and the judgments that's going to happen at the judgment seat of God. But you will not be with him in the third resurrection. Let's read one more text in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. This is, again, talking about that third resurrection. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also then a spiritual body. What is he saying here? What's the point for us? His resurrection, such a transformative, powerful event. Which again, he had a weak body, didn't he? You look at the, the you look at the different phrases in this text. Perishable, dishonor, weakness, natural. Jesus had that, right? He had all of those those earthly characteristics. His body was weak, his body was perishable. The idea of dishonor, what does that mean for well, again, he was in heaven, glorified, perfect, entirely awesome. He had to descend to earth. It was something that was, he was not, it was not, he was worth more than that. He did, should not have had to go through this dishonor of being a, a physical mortal being. But we're thinking about his resurrection as it ties to ours, right? He was perishable and weak and had all those qualities. Those are the qualities of our bodies, aren't they? Our bodies are weak and dishonorable and perishable and, and have all this, this temporariness. But this third resurrection, the transformative thing we're looking for, is that when that third resurrection comes, if we have believed in the first one, the resurrection of Jesus, if we have participated in the second one, been raised from our sins, we will get to participate in that third resurrection that transforms us into something glorious and imperishable and indestructible, something immortal, something that will never end, something that is too great even to describe in in physical mundane terms something i look forward to something i hope you look forward to as well something we all should look forward to for the for those of us who believe right isn't that the point let's have a closing prayer and then i'll have some more things to say god we thank you for the resurrection thank you for jesus example for us to follow Thank you for sending him to demonstrate righteousness for us. Thank you for raising him so that we would not have to fear death anymore. I don't know who's watching or listening. I ask that you please work in our hearts, convict us of sin. If there's anybody who's watching who has not been united with your son, I ask that you please give them the realization of their lostness so that they might turn to you. We're in a difficult time, but God, we know that you can always work in any circumstance to bring about salvation. Give us the wisdom and the strength to seek out those who are lost, to reach out and, and influence those who we can. We love you and we thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.